Hello and welcome to this episode of Game On Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. If you're familiar with the hit series The Guild, then you are probably a longtime fan like us. At the end of season five, Codex has landed what she thinks is going to be her dream job. She's working for the creator of the game she loves, cleverly titled The Game. (laughs) Clever. Clever. (laughs) Season six takes place over Codex's first days at her new job. And it doesn't take long before she learns the terrible reality of working in the real world. Through this season, we see Codex attempt to slay a rather large metaphorical dragon and while the rest of her guild faces their own personal challenges. So we're going to be reviewing this season, all of season six in its entirety. So we're going to be talking about all of the episodes. And I'm saying this with an with emphasis for a reason, because as we try to always warn you, there will be spoilers. So we will not have any hurt feelings if you stop now and you go and watch the entire show, which is all online now. Go and check that out on the Geek and Sundry channel on YouTube and then come back and listen to us after that because they're going to be spoilers and you've been warned. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's sort of like the uh, ending of Mass Effect 3. You're really going to have to go out of your way to not hear mm-hmm. what has been going on in, in uh, Season 6 of the Guild, but at least you know ahead of time on the show that you can just turn it off and come back later. Right, exactly. So so we have, we have warned you and let the spoilers begin. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, I think you can see a real growth all the way through all six seasons. But to me, especially, I think a little bit in season six with writing and storytelling, mm-hmm. um, it, it's just really come a long way. Yeah, it's there's been a lot. There's been a lot of changes. You know, the start of season six, we saw new opening credits and new music, uh, which changed the feel of the show just from the start. And mm-hmm. the cinematics were different. The videos were different. You know, the way they were shooting, everything was just, it, it had amped up from from what, I mean, as the, the Guild had always been an excellent example of what you could do with a web series in terms of lighting and, you know, not looking like it had been shot in somebody's garage. But this yeah. really went a step further, a step beyond that. And, you know, I can see kind of the geek and sundry influence, I think, impacting impacting the guild, which was great. Yeah, definitely. There was more layers to the storytelling. Mm-hmm. And I think what I'm impressed with the most about the writing is how they continue to build the characters. They <clears throat> don't take a heavy hand with them. Right. And they pay attention to the delicacies of getting to know someone. Exactly. And building relationships. Yeah. Um, it, and they, they take us a, a very soft hand with it. And I think it, as a result, you've got some rich characters mm-hmm. for a web series. Absolutely. And the evolution of the characters and to watch them grow and change and learn to interact with each other is has just been fantastic. And, yeah, and it really is a marker of great writing of excellent storytelling the dialogue is still snappy and original and engaging and you know and it's it's laden in 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 gamer jargon you know there's there's no way mm-hmm. it's a gamer show so there's no way that you know people who aren't gamers i think are going to watch it and particularly enjoy it but you know for its for its demographic and for the crowd that loves it like us um, yeah. you know, it really does hit, it hit, hits its mark over and over again. Well, I just thought I'd review, um, briefly what the story 
stories are for each character in season six. Right. Um, first of all, Codex is so involved in the game that we know from season one, she <clears throat> we've never seen her really hold down a job. No, no. Um, she was working for Cheesy Beards for a while, but that sort of was a front so she could be online to play the game. Right. That was that was a and a she even says in that season, you know, I'm I'm playing in a in an area that's too high level for me. <laughs> yeah. She had overextended herself and her abilities and what she could do. She couldn't really do the social media marketing for cheesy beards that she said she could do. So um, you know, and that was out of desperation because her computer was dying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but that's the only time we've seen her and really, well, I mean, we see them all outside of the game through the whole series, through every season. Uh, but we see a little bit of how they're all doing their work in that season as well. Yeah. And usually the stuff outside, I mean, like with season one, I mean, we saw them meet each other at Cheesy Beards, but they only interacted with their guild mm -hmm. or we saw them having a party in their That's own too. apartment yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep exactly or they went to meet to play with the uh, axis, axis of anarchy. anarchy yeah <laughs> but another gaming group you know yeah, yeah. and in the con mm -hmm. i mean they were always they were they were rarely mixed with other human beings <laughs> out in the world outside their guild. So. Yeah, their their social uh, structures were rather limited in, yeah. in who was coming and going in them. So we, we did have that almost isolation. And, and they start to get, it, it grows by, through through this, through each season, it, it grows. They start to uh -huh. one step and one step and one step out and out and out and further and further and further. Yeah. Until we get to this season for season six, and we actually do see them all interacting in Codex's workplace, which of course is a disaster because what else would it be? <laughs> exactly, it's it. It never lives up to our expectations. Nope. <laughs> well, for Zabu, he has only recently gotten out of smothering relationships with his mom and his first real girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And he's facing real loneliness for the very first time. Right. Um, he does interviews with animals <laughs> to try to find a new best friend. And for some reason, keeps pursuing um, non-humans. Right. Yeah. He, he's having a hard time sort of uh, finding a place for himself now that he he really came into his own in season five, if we think about it, with the um, yeah. seat savers and sort of, you know, embracing his own power for good and ill. Um, so, you know, we, we see sort of that now he doesn't have that and the guild isn't as active in the game because Codex as the healer is such an integral part of their being able to play together that they yeah. can't really game without her. So then he's lost that and Vork has a girlfriend and, you know, Blades is having problems with his stepdad and is hanging out more with Clara and it, it just, you, you see the whole thing kind of change. So you're right. Instead of, I don't know who else he could have reached out to, but yeah, he does sort of go for the dogs and for the NPC mermaid girl, which was a whole series of hilarious scenes, I have to say. <laughs> oh, yeah, they were they were just spot on. Mm -hmm. They were just good. Absolutely. Just, well, yeah, and speaking of Vork, <laughs> he does... <laughs> Vork does make a love connection mm -hmm. at the Mega Game Arama Con in season five. Um, I saw it. I still don't believe it. But <laughs> anyway, for the first time, 
fork has to make compromises to accommodate another human being in his life. Yeah, and it's the most rattling thing for him. Oh, man. <laughs> it just completely unsettles him. He has absolutely nothing. He has no he has no skill set here. <laughs> no. He has absolutely no skill set for what he's doing. So, yeah, it just completely challenges the foundation of of who he is and what he's doing. So, and I think Vork tends to be the more complicated character that I have trouble um, understanding mm-hmm. but after watching the guild a second time season six it's really complicated the way that his character is written mm-hmm. yeah i mean it just yeah it, I, I don't know it, it it's difficult to grasp but at the same time i think it's well, it, it's difficult to write he, he would be easy to take as the end of the stereotype you know so, so if we take the gamer stereotype as being the you know a socially awkward guy who lives in his mom's basement, right? Yeah. Vork sort of takes that stereotype to the next step. What happens when that guy's in midlife? Yeah. What, what happens when, you know, the, somebody who's socially awkward and socially inept is, is hits midlife? You know, <laughs> that's that's sort of who Vork is. And if you just took it at the surface, you could laugh about that alone. But my dissertation chair, when, when, I, when I made her <laughs> watch the first four seasons of The Guild, because they were such an integral part of what I was writing about, she loved them and she loved Vork. Vork was her favorite character and not because of that stereotype but because she said he stood for anti-capitalism oh yeah because he's always going for the deals and the budgets and keeping the you know the big food cans and you know taking the ice for the you know refrigerator but everything about him was sort of a metaphor for going against um you know, uh, capitalistic culture. Yeah. To be balanced, of course, by his like over sense of capitalism in the game. <laughs> oh yeah, true. Which we see come out in the later seasons that she hadn't that she hadn't watched because season five hadn't been out when I was writing, so she didn't yeah. get to see the season where he was uh, running the auction house essentially. Um, so you know, but but he, that's what he stood for for her. So so to have a character that can hold sort of those two completely different and completely dynamic readings like if we're reading them as a text is is just a symbol of oh i don't know just fantastic writing and and like you said the depth the characters can hold well tinkerbala's crisis from her perspective is that the guys have stopped doing her bidding which has her flummoxed only for a little while when she starts moving on to another demographic to try to find to abuse but from our perspective, we see that all of her exploitation and manipulation of other people has finally come home for a reality check with her. Yeah, and it's it's funny because it's an interesting balance. We'll get to this a little later, sort of um, Felicia Day's agenda, I think, with this season. Yeah. Uh, it's very personal, I think, for her. Um, and... It, which is commented in some of the behind-the-scenes videos. But... To, it, Tink's storyline is an interesting balance to that, counterbalance to that, because it is the social media that starts to bring her down. Um, oh, my God, there's 200 comments on this Facebook thread about you. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, you know, I did this. And, oh, I guess this guy is no longer going to give you free pedicures. Burn, you know, that Clara says to her. And so it, it, it is that sort of outcome of the same kind of social media stuff that the, the whole season is talking about. She yeah. gets taken down by as well. Yeah, the uh, the social media is definitely a second 
or sub theme of the entire show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and finally, there's Clara. And Clara basically is still in trouble with her husband, Wiggly, for her continued irresponsibility as a mother. And she kind of gets a glimpse of things from Wiggly's perspective. Yeah, she has to be a little bit more serious in this season than she's ever had to be before. <laughs> yeah, because they, um, the uh, guild kind of cuts Wiggly loose. Oh my God. He steals the whole season. I see. He's swear. hilarious. He's just absolutely hilarious through the whole season. The, the basketball on the roller chairs and the um oh god in the end when he's doing the was it pizza tossing he was gonna do yes. you know kind of the javelin pizza tossing discus the discus mm-hmm. pizza oh my goodness it was so hilarious I was just, I was just cracking up and especially at the very very end of the finale when um Clara's like oh now we see where our son gets his ADD from yeah and he's running around in circles with the with the frisbee and she's like go faster go faster yeah yeah. <laughs> I was just cracking up so hard at these, you know, at these just outrageous things that he had, that he did, and that he, you know, completely pulled off. They were fantastic. Well, in the early, I don't remember which season he showed up in. Was it two? I think it was, yes. Yeah, I think that was the first time we saw him. He did not have um, very big scenes or that many lines. Not at all. But I'm telling you, from the very beginning when, when he was on there, his presence alone, I was thinking... This guy is really funny. Mm-hmm. He has got a, a real presence and it, his facial expressions. I was like, I'd like to see more of him. Yeah. And I was so pleased as the seasons progressed that they used him more and more. Yeah. I loved um, in the first the first scene that pops to my mind of of him. I mean, he had been in other scenes, but it's in season three when they're training him to be a new guildie. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't understand what he's doing and he's like, Oh yeah, well I jumped in the water is oh is leveling up like I jumped in the water and I swam for like an hour, you know, to build up cardio and then like <laughs> and Blade says that sentence is so full of fail. <laughs> yeah. Not that I have the seasons memorized. No. I, I kinda do, so <laughs> But that we could we could talk alone about just about Wiggly close. swimming for an hour anyway. Yes, and, exactly. <laughs> and how feasible that actually. <laughs> anyway, I was gaining XP. Oh uh, no! Are you fighting with a spoon? <laughs> <laughs> Which they make reference to in this season. Yes. <laughs> when Floyd tells the tells all the workers he's going to strip their characters and make them fight with zero DPS spoons. Yes. Yeah. So the guild has always been a strong representation of community. What do you think this season says about community? I think one of the most important messages that comes out of this season of the guild is that in order for communities to continue and survive, they need to be able to adapt. Mm. They need yeah. to be able yeah. to adapt with um, the changes that come to every member. Because it would it would have been very easy for the guild to completely fall apart because Codex got a job. Yeah. You know that that could have just been the end of them. They could have not not cared and not tried and of course you know it's a titillating job for them because she's working at the game um so they they have self-interest in in wanting you know swag or whatever it is that they want from her the you know the server keys to the test server you know they have self-interest in it but but it also i think you see more toward the end the depth of the friendship that they've developed and because of the depths 
of those friendships because they're so deep and they're so connected to each other. They can continue as as the world, as the real world, impacts the online community, and so and they're able to continue and 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 you know roll with that. And I think that that's a really important message in general. And again, if I go back to what I was saying earlier about how they have developed these characters with a with a very delicate hand, mm-hmm. I mean, from the very beginning. They never even had met each other in person. Right. So you're, you've taken from over six seasons people who had never even seen each other face to face and actually didn't, were afraid to, mm-hmm. to now people who have each other's backs. Right, exactly. And who are there for each other. One of the greatest examples of that is the whole Blades sub story as well, where he essentially gets, you know, kicked out of his house because um, the cop is his mom's uh, boyfriend. Yeah. And he comes, you know, he shows up at his house and he's like, I got to get my gaming on. So, you know, I'm taking over your gaming space. So Blades has nowhere to go at home, no space for his own, no space to call his own. And Clara just takes him in. And, you know, of course, that's to Wiggly's uh, (laughs) chagrin that, you know, she's so willing to kind of take him in for it. But, you know, she gives him the space that he needs and allows him, you know, the videos that he's doing for the updates and, and all that kind of stuff. And she gets really into it, too. But that's a true sense of community as well, where she opens up her house to him in a way that, you know, she wouldn't have in the first season. That never would have happened where they were when they met. Right. And that's one of the things that's fun to watch through the seasons, because even at the at the very beginning, they tackle a boss together in season one. Yep. And they realize all of a sudden, hey, my skills are applicable and these guys actually had my back. Right. Yeah. And once you do that and you you open the door up to the development of that relationship, which they still were really scared about. Mm-hmm. But eventually, like at the uh, the con in season five, I mean, they were going out of their way to help each other. And during the entire six years, you don't ever see them sitting down having these deep emotional conversations. <laughs> it's always, almost always couched in gaming terms. Yeah, yeah. And almost in always in a panic. Well, yeah, and and it's fragmented. There's no, you know, long speeches of what each other means to each other or how they're so glad they're there for each other. There's none of that that you would see in sort of a typical drama. And I think that that's one of the reasons why web series have a certain strength to them because the time is so valuable and you have to do so much in such a small amount of time that they have to be on top of that and they have to be on top of making things streamlined so so that you know you cut out all this stuff you know this is more representative of what real relationships look like of what real friendships look like when they evolve you know broken pieces here and there and you chat in the language that you know if you were a knitter you would talk in knitting metaphors or you know if you're a car enthusiast you'd talk in car you know metaphors and you know like I, i always love the scene at the end of the first season where they do take down um Zabu's mom, and she's the boss, the fiery eyes, et cetera, et cetera. And they're like, Claire's like, I'm out of mana, you know, you know, because she's, you know, so emotional and so had to put so much out there to say what she said to Zabu's mom. You know, those are terms that, you know, like you said, the gamers terms. So, yeah. 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 Well, and now we mentioned another sub theme about the social networking. Mm-hmm. And there are some um, really revealing and I think very extremely personal lines of codexes in the show. 
but there's a strong message from the beginning, even with um, Tinkerbell like, getting in trouble socially with all the guys that she's been manipulating. Mm-hmm. But the r- guy who is the creator of the game is obsessed with the comments being made about him and about the game. Right. So much so he can't work. Right. It's completely debilitating to him. And I mean, yes. and he's going to an absolute extreme where it's because I know I'm, I'm, you know, a schmo on, on Twitter as well. But any schmo on Twitter can send him a tweet like, I hate your game and or whatever. And the first thing he says to Codex when she drives up for the job is like, do you think like the banners for the con look like they were from a high school run fair? And she's like, no. And he's like, because so-and-so said that that's what they look like. <laughs> yeah. And that's a direct quote, you know, and, and he's obsessing over every minute detail of what comes in terms of feedback, you know, from the Internet at large to him about the game. So that that definitely impedes his ability to create, which is what she keeps trying to say to him. And she's trying to manipulate him with the balloons that she gives him and, you know, with the cupcakes. cupcakes. <laughs> Which we all know cupcakes are the best things ever. So um, she tries to get him into a more positive space and putting the positive comments up on the window to block out, you know, Vork's protest and all the different things that she's trying to do to get him away from that hyper negative place. Yeah. um, I'll just read off some of the lines that she had and then we can kind of talk about the personal attachment maybe that uh, Felicia Day had with this. Sure. Um, At one point... Again, if you're listening, these are all getting into heavy spoilers at this point. But the show is coming to a climax at the end where there are some gamers that have actually been worked up into a a froth and they are protesting outside of the game uh, headquarters. And the creator is inside and he's ready just to throw it all in, fire everybody, run away, and just give up. Mm -hmm. And Felicia Day, he's attacking the employees. And Kodak says, your real flamers are out there, referring to the guys that are hating him. Which is really good because, I mean, he immediately he kind of attacks and abuses the people that are immediately around him, which are some of his biggest fans. Right. And his biggest supporters and the people who have helped him make the game what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then Codex goes out there because he's still intimidated. And what she says it to the, these gamers, get out from behind your computer and say what you're going to type to my face. Right. And if, if that wasn't a direct... Uh, slap at some of the yeah. people who have been bashing Felicia Day. I'm not real sure what else could be. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. What it, that's what I'm saying. Absolutely. Uh, what I was saying earlier. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds like what she wanted to say, as well as a speech she gave the creator earlier in the game mm-hmm. when he went into the game into a private space he created to hide. Right. His hate. Uh, Kate, his hate. His Kate. hate. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is like a really bad place for him to be mm-hmm. because he is he is not only created, he can't avoid the hate outside the game, but he takes it with him inside the game, even a place that it should be a refuge. Right. He brings it into the game right. and she has to go in and find him. Mm-hmm. And while she there, she's there, she tells him this. There's an army of hate out there, both online and offline. You have to ignore it. The internet lets you see what every random person thinks of you. It is the worst superpower ever. 
But if you stop making things because of haters, you're only letting them bully you and you're letting them bully every single person who loves what you do. Yeah, that's, well, internet words to live by. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, that's a hard process to go through. And I've always sympathized with artists, with uh, writers, with actors, with people who create um, things. These are things that you have to put out there in public for the public opinion. You want to share these creative juices, right. but it's a double-edged sword mm-hmm. because you, no matter what you create, no matter how brilliant, someone's going to say something negative about it, and you have to be prepared for that. But it is, I would, I would say, sort of in Felicia Day's situation, she had this internet love going on for so long, right, and then all of a sudden, I mean, it was just evisceration, yeah, and and it wasn't. It wasn't small and it wasn't subtle. It was huge and it was highly personal. Yes. You know, it wasn't even your work sucks. It was you suck. Yes. And it was the worst form of bullying and hatred and, you know, anonymous feedback crap that anybody should have to endure. So. Yeah. And even in, even if it had not been kind of a, a wave or as big as it was, you know, even during the days when things are going really well, I imagine those comments were there. Right. Yeah. Even, even with all the love that she had when she launched the guild, there's no way that you do anything that's one time, you know, everybody loves simultaneously. There's always going to be people who are critical and unfairly critical you know if we want to there are very very few people and especially artists some people might disagree with me there are very few people who are tough enough to handle that on a regular basis on on a you know i got so many comments on youtube today that said this about me yeah you know or i got so many you know tweets about this or so many people said this about me or somebody wrote this article saying this and it yeah you have to have an exceptionally thick skin. <laughs> so we we know that this this type of criticism is not new. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, do you think it's more vicious because of the social networking, because of the internet? Yes, I think our access to people is so much greater. You know, the, just the, the simple act of, you know, connecting to someone or following someone on Facebook or Twitter or, you know, Tumblr or whatever other source you're going to be on, the likelihood that they're going to see those comments is is pretty high. You know, even seven years ago, you wouldn't have been able to go and say, who did I see yeah. today? Bruce Campbell's on Twitter. And I was like, wow, really? <laughs> yeah. So you could, you know, there's nothing to say they don't, you know, see everything that comes up there. But the likelihood that you're going to actually get your message heard by somebody is significantly higher because of social media than it ever has been before. And, you know, just like you might hear in Star Wars, you can use your powers for good or you can use them for bad or light or dark. You know, they're your choices, how you interact. And I think it's really easy, like she said with that quote, to sit behind your computer and, you know, dish up all kinds of troll stuff. It's a lot harder to look somebody in the eye and say that to them. So Well, and the, the that's the reason why I asked the question, because you've always had movie reviews. 
theater reviews, music reviews. But again, it's still behind a typewriter. It may have gone into print mm-hmm. or it may have gone into a blog. Right. And I, I completely validate those those jobs. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I've written movie reviews before. But there's to me, there's a line between a cr- creative criticism and just being non-productive yeah well yeah just and you know it's hateful like it can be hateful i don't know if people intend it to be hateful you know people get 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 mad about things they don't often know how to deal with it (laughs) i mean yeah but some of the the stuff though that that is so incredibly ugly though that to me is a power trip oh absolutely and i think that that's the dark side of the the connectivity we have through social media yeah is that that you know um people feel like they should get a response or should be able to say whatever they can say to whomever they want to say it to and you know that's kind of unfortunate because there are some thoughts that belong in your head or on your computer alone or you know wherever you keep a journal or whatever you do to you know to get your inner thoughts out there are some of those things that don't need to be on the internet <laughs> yeah you don't need to spew it out just because you've thought it doesn't mean it needs to be out there for somebody to see and worse than that the people who create the things that you love don't owe you anything <laughs> No, they don't owe you, you know, an explanation for the choices that they've made or, you know, a rationalization for the characters or for plots or for set pieces or any of that. They don't owe you anything. When somebody's at a con or somebody's online or somebody's on Twitter or on Facebook and actually responds to you, that you should feel as a privilege that you're lucky that somebody was, you know, kind enough to reach out to you like that. So. You know, and I'm not, you know, I I imagine at least that most of the people who are listening to our show aren't like that. (laughs) Of course not. Of course not. But you might, you know, reach out to somebody that that you think might have in the past behaved like this and show them the season of, of the Guild because I think it really does explain what it could be like in a very, you know, humorous way you know, taken to an extreme what it could be like to experience this. Well, we've been talking about spoilers about season six, but there's a major spoiler at the end yeah. of season six in the last episode, yeah. which we're going to talk about right now. And <laughs> this is your last warning, but <laughs> Regina, go ahead and, uh, and spill the beans. What is it that you saw at the very end of the last episode of the season? It's over. Everybody dies. Yeah, everybody no. dies. Yeah, there's no response. <laughs> there's no response. It's a dream. Yeah, it's all a dream. No, um, no, it's nothing that cliched, thankfully enough. Um, we do see Codex at the end uh, giving what we can assume is her last video log entry. Uh, and she says, you know, I needed this very much when I started out. And... Oh, geez, I'm getting emotional about this. (laughs) And so did my guild. And through healing them, I've healed myself. And then she turns the computer off. And walks away and leaves an empty chair. Yep. And full confession, I cried then. I cried again watching it the second time and even talking about it. So, See, I'm I'm just stunned. Or in denial. (laughs) Because you had asked me if I'd seen it, and I said, no, not yet. I'm going to watch it this weekend, you know, before we talk about it. And I'm sitting there, and my jaw just dropped open, and I just sat there. And I was like, wait, what just happened? (laughs) What? um, Wait a minute. Let me think. 
I, I just, just like this, mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't put the thoughts together. And then I, I watched it again yesterday with my husband and it's like, he goes, Oh, they're over, huh? <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, that's what I got out of it. Yeah. <laughs> she turned her computer off. <laughs> yeah. She turned her computer off and walked away. So yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a pretty clear sign. And I think it didn't surprise me actually at all. Oh, I was, I like I said, I was stunned. Yeah, I, I had and in denial. Oh yeah, in denial. That that might have been more. <laughs> uh, when I looked back at the seasons, I honestly thought the show was going to end at the end of the fifth season. Um, the one it came to the end of the con, and they had all sort of found they'd all been empowered as individuals in the fifth season. Yeah, you know, Vork had found a love interest. Zabu had found something that he was really skilled and really talented at and really good at. Um, Tink had come clean with her parents about not being pre-med, but wanting to be a fashion designer. Uh, Clara had, you know, experimented with steampunk, but, you know, had felt she wanted to go home and be a mom. There was a lot of hope in that end. And that end, so I was, I was almost surprised that there was a sixth season, uh, because I had seen the potential from all of them to sort of move forward. And it did end, she ended many of the seasons on cliffhangers. Yeah. Like, um, the end of season three, when she slept with, um, Fox and uh, she wakes up and she's next to him. So there's yeah. lots of, there had been lots of cliffhangers. So, you know, it made sense that it was a cliffhanger. But to me, it was a cliffhanger that I could see resolution in. Like, I could see the end of the show there. I could see it stop, stopping there. So I, although I was delighted that there was a sixth season, in the back of my mind and through a lot of what happens in this season, I could see it coming to an end. Um, I could see the wrapping of, the wrapping up of the story. We have a literary term called denouement, which is is uh, French for the untying of the knot. And the basic idea is the resolution of a story is that is the resolution of a story. It's the denouement of the story. And this whole season was a denouement. The whole thing was sort of all of them coming to that closing point. So I wasn't particularly surprised, although I was obviously very moved by the end of it. Yeah, I was completely gullible. (laughs) I, I had no clue. I never expected, or I just, I kind of sit and and ride the ride the way I like to say it. If, mm-hmm. if, if the movie's good or I'm enjoying it or the show is good and I'm enjoying it, I will let it take me for a ride right. and not be aware or know when the monster jumps out of the closet. <laughs> I, I will enjoy every minute of that if, if they have me. And it, I thought that it was um, fun. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw that computer screen go off, I that's caught me so off guard. I had to think about, and, and I saw it more when I watched it the second time and saw how all these stories were, the, the relationships had come to such a beautiful uh, state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, okay, I see this now. Right. But there was some behind the scenes stuff though. Yeah. And this is my denial that makes me think uh, a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, did you watch the um, background stuff on the show on I, the season six? Yeah, I watched all the all the behind the scenes for all, for each of the episodes. I didn't. I only watched them once, but I did watch them all. I don't remember. See, I must have missed it, but I don't remember Felicia Day saying anything conclusively about the 
this being the end. Did she? No, they... they, I mean, I think she avoided saying that. She kind of danced around it when they asked her about it, but Kim... Evie, who is the producer that, produ- you know, the main producer who works on the show with Felicia, said that, you know, every season has been the last season. <laughs> yeah. As they've been producing it, every season has been the end season. They thought it was going to end at season five and, you know, and they came back and had season six. So, um, so there is some sort of feeling there of, there could be more. But I, I, I think part of that is is an avoidance of, of not wanting the fans to sort of react to. <laughs> it could be. That but I mean, that was a pretty clear message. I, I, and if anything, the people they were talking to, I think may have been slightly in denial themselves. Yeah, absolutely. But But they also warned all of the actors who talked about it in that same behind the scenes uh, thing for the last episode, they warned them that the, this could be the last time they're acting, you know, they're yeah. playing this character. This could be the very end of it. And, you know, and there were tears that were shed for them when they were on set and it was their last yeah. scene. So, well, I'll tell you what <laughs> my theory is. Ooh, I like theories. I think, I think that the, uh, one of two things, either Felicia's acting is finally getting, she's, probably getting picked up for something regular Mm. or uh, a new pilot or something like that, or the guild is getting picked up. You know, it, it, that could be that, that could be that it's going to go in a different, a different direction than it has been. I think there's a certain beauty to stopping before you've run it out. Oh yeah. You know, ending before you've emptied the gas tank on whatever it is you're producing and well, look at how many things each of them is doing yeah, right now. Absolutely. You know, they all have different projects they work on, individual projects. You know, Felicia has her blog that she does on top of everything else for Geek and Sundry, you know, and and an acting career. So there's there's a lot of stuff sort of going on there. Um I, I would be really interested to see if your your theory is correct and somebody else has picked it up. I'll be interested to see what that looks like because so much of what I've loved and so much of what I think the fans love about the Guild is the fact that it's, it is a, a true labor of love for Felicia, or at least it seems that way. It comes across as something that she's loved and poured her heart into. And all of us who produce content think the same thing about what we're doing, or at least hopefully we do. Yeah. And appreciate her for what she's done in that production. Well, and we kind of own it. I yeah. mean, we oh, kind of yeah. consider this ours. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel, you know, a great level of connection for as I said in the dissertation, anytime I got stuck writing about what I was writing about, I went back and watched the Guild again. And I cannot tell you how many aha moments came from re-watching the show. Like Mm -hmm. I would get lost in something and then I'd watch the show and it would re-ground me in part of what I was trying to say. And I think that's why her end message was so moving for me because it was the same thing I was trying to say through the dissertation. Oh, yeah. So it all sort of came together. So maybe, maybe it will go on, but there's part of me, a part of me that loves it in a way that I want it to end now. Yeah, I mean, it it makes me sad, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it has so beautifully uh, created a rounded story which you know nobody got what like with firefly oh no god no and still even with the movie you still feel a sense of non-resolution of it yeah and with this you feel that Mm -hmm. you 
are so happy for them yeah. and you are so proud of what they've done yep. and what they've accomplished. And I mean, knowing what, what kind of basket cases they were in the first season, you're <laughs> so proud of them. <laughs> without a doubt. Just without a doubt. So Well, it was um it was a beautiful season and if you're gonna go out with a bang that was That's a good the way one. to do it. <laughs> that was a good one. Oh, and you had said in our notes, you had mentioned the fact that you thought it was a complete reboot with the new. Um, yeah, that's what I, yeah, yeah. That's what I thought when the opening and they started with the new uh, graphic opening and they had jazzed up the music and just done a, a remix of that. I'm like, oh, wow, they're doing they're rebooting it. They're right. putting on a new face and they're starting another way, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. And yeah, I really that's that's probably another reason why I was so caught off guard at the end. Right. And I think my take on that is because I could I could see that as well, is that that's sort of an homage to the guild in general, like, you know. Here's what you should have had. <laughs> yeah. Here's what you should have been able to do to make this what, you know, the quality of the show had always been level to that, the quality of the writing and the characters, the dialogue, all that had been that that quality, but it didn't have yeah. the video to back it. So so that way we get a little bit of that, you know, here's your sort of swan song for the guild as well. Oh, well. <laughs> It was, I, I do know that I did have a strong reaction to it, though, even though I, I didn't cry, because I dreamed about it that night. <laughs> and that's, that's pretty, that's pretty big. Yeah. I was at the, uh, I was at the goodbye party with all of them. Oh, that's sweet. That is really yeah. sweet. I watched it right before bed. After my, my new schedule has me with a 12 hour teaching day. And I watched it because that's a Tuesday. And so it came out that day. And I, when I was going to bed that night, I'm like, Oh, I didn't get to watch the guild. So I hopped on to watch it. And I was like, oh, thanks for making me sad before I go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty rough. It was, yeah. Well, if you're a fan of the Guild or you're not a fan, if you've watched season six or any of the previous seasons and you've got some insights that we haven't covered here today or you'd like to share your favorite moments, your favorite scenes, uh, the things that you like about the Guild and maybe what it has done for you. Maybe it helped you write a dissertation. <laughs> We'd love to hear about it. You can always check us out on GameOnGirl.com. I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at RoRoom. That's R-H-O, R-H-O-O-M. You can also read my tech blog at JewelOnTheFrog.com or email Rhonda at GameOnGirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter. If you don't or haven't subscribed to Geek and Sundry channel on YouTube, go do it now. <laughs> they have fantastic content, including the season six of The Guild and all the other seasons, which you can watch. And uh, they have one continuous play for all the other seasons. You can also catch seasons one through five on Netflix if you haven't caught up on the show in its entirety. So check it out. It comes very highly recommended from Game on Girl, uh, as this episode is proof. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher streaming. These links, along with references made in the show, can be found on our website, gameongirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Bruce at Desert Tree Media. And the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Until next time, game on. Game on.